Ordinary Voices is sponsored by RCL Worship Resources. RCL Worship Resources is creating dynamic, inclusive, progressive, grace-centered resource material designed to transform your congregation's worship experience. Their team of gifted writers and editors are creating worship planning materials to support congregations and leaders. Visit RCL Worship Resources to see their broad spectrum of resources. They're here to make your worship planning experience creative, easy, and fun. RCLWorshipResources.com. Worship that works for you. Berkeley was talking. She's saying, London, aren't you excited about this? Let's do this. And she's like, are you, are you ready to go? And London's like, Berkeley, please. Just, Berkeley, yes, I've done this before. You know, she's trying to big sister it, and I've been here, done that. And Berkeley's like, I'm ready to go. And she's like, I'm ready. She's like, am I up next? And like, Berkeley, everyone has a number. Just wait for your number. So, you know, we're coaching her up, and, you know, when they come out to get you, right. you know, all of the things go into how you're judged. Right. Reading the judge. You know, your attire, how you warm up, all this stuff goes into it. Really, it doesn't. It's, right. it's about the piece. But we just talked to her about her presence, both right. of the girls, you right. know, right. engage with people, eye contact. Yeah. And uh, the judge comes out and says, hello, 659. She's like, hello, my name is Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> she had some contest speak to her. And she goes in, she looks at me, she's like, <laughs> and she goes in. I hear her play her piece. She does amazing. And I'm when I'm happy, and my girls know this, I cry. Right. Right. So I'm just crying because I can hear it. And, of course, all the other moms and people in the hallway, Alicia's down with London at another spot. But they're just like, oh, this is so heartwarming. And, and I was just like, oh, I must, oh, you just be so proud. And I was like, yeah, I am. But I'm just, I'm just happy for her, right, right, you know, because right. she was excited and it went smoothly. And she came out and the first thing she said is, I did it. <laughs> and I was like, yes, you did. <laughs> Es war tief in einer Bar, mitten in der Wüste. Lässig stand sie da, die Männer sahen ihre Brüste. This is Ordinary Voices, inviting ordinary people into conversations about life and faith. I'm your host, Eric Elkin. I created this podcast to help me, a pastor, better understand people and the way they view the world. Now I'm inviting you into the conversation, so together we might listen. Listen for the extraordinary stories dwelling inside every ordinary voice. Guests on the show are not authorities. They're simply people willing to share with us the authenticity of their own thoughts. I try to provide the guests the freedom to talk and let them determine the direction of the conversation, then reflect upon the things I heard them say. Each show, I ask listeners to listen like a good camp counselor. Good camp counselors allow children to express themselves without judgment. They listen for what the camper is trying to say. People who listen tend to understand each other better, and we live in a world desperate for ears. So let's begin today's show. It's really grace. Oh, senorita, llamada policia. The first time I met my guest, he was sitting in the balcony of Richfield United Methodist Church with his mother, his wife, and their two children. He doesn't know this, but I judged him the first moment I saw him. Not to be unkind to a guest who so graciously agreed to be interviewed, but but let's just say 
Peyton will not be getting a perfect attendance pin this year from the church. I assumed when I saw him in the balcony that his wife had reluctantly dragged him to church, that he was sitting up there because it was the easiest way in and the quickest way out. So I greeted him as I passed by, saying good morning and asking him how he was doing. His reply was immediate, energetic, and overflowing with enthusiasm. He said, It's Sunday morning, and I'm sitting in church with my mother and my family. How could things be any better? I stopped, stunned by the response, and looked at him. In my head, I was thinking, is this guy messing with me? Honestly, I've never had a young father express that kind of joy about being in church. From that moment on, I watched Peyton Owens III, wondering what he was all about. So finally, I reached out to him, and we agreed to meet for lunch. I enjoy meeting people at their place of work, and so we agreed to meet at Peyton's job. But then I had to ask him, what did he do and where did he work? A big sports fan, I was thrilled to meet Peyton at his place of work, Beerman Field Athletic Building, on the campus of the University of Minnesota. Once again, Peyton caught me off guard. Not only did he show me a side of D1 athletics I'd never seen, but he gave me one of the most powerful lessons in grace I've ever received. His words transform my worldview, and I hope they will transform yours as well. So let's meet our guest. Excellent. Okay, well, again, delighted to be here. Uh, Peyton Owens III, uh, born and raised in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Proud son of Peyton Owens Jr. and Bessie Owens. Uh, although just raised by my mom, mm-hmm. uh, parents were married for quite many years, but then got divorced, and my life growing up was always with my mom. I'm an only child, no siblings, so really family is just mom and I. Mm-hmm. Uh, growing up, and my mother is a educator. Uh, she went to uh, Virginia State University, uh, and then went on to teach in R- Richmond Public School Systems for 30 plus years, and oh retired from Richmond Public School Systems. <laughs> so my entire life has been based around education, the importance of intellect and interpretation and wisdom and seeking out answers to questions and being afforded access to other educators and really putting that premise into motion for me. So it's been outstanding and enjoyed also the teachers along the way that allowed me to ask some great questions and shape my life. I think one of my earliest fondest memories is of Miss Brooks, my second grade teacher, who really set myself and another classmate of mine down early Alvin Mac Williams. We were best friends and said, you know, gentlemen, you have an amazing opportunity here with academics. Do not mess it up. <laughs> Held us back after class and said, your parents are not sending you here to school to be anybody's clown. You are here to learn and to continue to grow and develop, and I've never forgotten that. What motivated that talk? It was actually Alvin and I spent more time talking with each other. And always, I was, I was always, and that followed me for a while, always uh, getting the comments of, Peyton talks a lot. You know, <laughs> kind of the class clown. I think I'd like to tie it to the fact that, you know, I was the only child. My mom was a, essentially a single-parent mom raising right. me. Right. Worked multiple jobs. Right. Uh, she was a teacher, but she also did driver's education. She also worked at Sears at night. So I was doing a lot of things. Oftentimes, I was that latchkey kid with the right. key on the shoelace, oh, yeah. keying myself in and so my playground was school. Right. <laughs> so, so, so when I got there, that talk got motivated by Alvin and I just chatting it up, yeah. you know, chatting it up.
Aiden's identity is formed by his relationship with his mother. She is more than a mother, she is a mentor, and she, in addition to teachers like Miss Brooks, made sure Peyton was academically grounded. I liked his statement in the awareness of the importance of seeking out answers to questions. Faith is his other foundation, so no, he was not messing with me when we first met. Another piece to me that I want to highlight before moving into college and continuing to move forward is our foundation of faith. Uh, uh, Wesley Memorial United Methodist Church, church back home. My mom still goes to that church to this day. When we go, but when I go back home to Virginia, we go to that church. We make a. My mom makes a point that we will go to church. Our girls will go and sit. We sit. My mom sits in the same pew, same spot. From growing up, it is exactly everything. It is the same. Uh, pastor there is our uh, Reverend uh, Rodney M. Hunter. Uh, and definitely um, church has been a, a staple of everything surrounding you know, who I've become, how I've learned about grace, how I've learned about values. And I oftentimes tell people, you know, in sports, in my work now, you know, I see an array of different uniforms. I see an array of different colors. But the greatest uniform that I've ever put on is my acolyte robe and my choir robe. Hmm. Two greatest uniforms ever because it was mine. It was it was it was purposeful. And I might get emotional through this. So <laughs> that's okay. Happen. That's um, okay. But it was a big part of who I am and continues to resonate. And that's why my family and girls are in the church today. Purposeful is an interesting choice of words. A word one should remember as our conversation continues. He will never specifically say purposeful again. But if you're listening, it's never far removed from his approach to family life, job, and faith. Peyton is also not afraid of his emotions. His tears are expressions of joy, grounded in a gratitude for the blessings he sees in his life. One last thing. Peyton was very clear he had one core value. That one core value is grace. Those with ears who listen will hear grace flowing throughout everything he says. So fast forward, I ended up going to the College of William & Mary uh, in Williamsburg, Virginia, second oldest college in the country, mm-hmm. uh, university in the country. Uh, then went on to get my master's work at uh, done at VCU. Undergrad. Undergrad, yes, sir. What was your undergrad in? My undergrad was in kinesiology, okay. uh, so the study of the human body and movement. I originally wanted to be a physical therapist. All four years that I was at uh, William & Mary, I was a student athletic trainer. So travel with the programs, did the sports uh, rehabilitation modalities and taking care of the student athletes. So I was always close to sports. Right. Um, and then that's where I met my wife, uh, okay. Alicia Owens. Uh, and we have two lovely daughters, London and Berkeley. Uh, and my wife, uh, was uh, her degree was in neuroscience. Uh, and she is a school psychologist, so you know, doing some amazing things here. But we met there, undergrad. So my college sweetheart. I married my college sweetheart. That's good because I did the same thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking about staying within my 40-mile radius bubble of Richmond, Virginia, right. Williamsburg. Okay. But I had a colleague that challenged me to think outside the box uh, and said there's a great opportunity in Minnesota. You should look at it. You should research it. Uh, honestly, being a, 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 a black person from the South, I said, who black is in Minnesota, right? <laughs> I, mean, I honestly did say that. You know, besides Kirby, Puckett, and Prince, who else do is there? Right. But he said, you know what? I need you to think beyond that. 
and he challenged me on that. He also is uh, black as well. Uh-huh. Came up for the interview, and I actually enjoyed my visit. Enjoyed what the University of Minnesota had to offer uh, for the Greater Academy. Learned more about the community and the state. Uh, saw it as a great opportunity to come, and I said, you know what? If they offer me the opportunity, I'm going to take it. Right. Got offered the opportunity. Thought I would do two to three years and then go back down south. It has now been 13 years. Holy cow. Yes. And, and I know you're loving it. So I, did, I am. I am. I am loving it. And it's been great for my wife. It's been great for our girls. Our girls were born and raised so far here. You know, it's it's been positive. And when I got offered the opportunity, I, I didn't even hesitate. I was like, it's time for me, as my mom said, to go and grow. So I met Peyton for lunch in the grand entrance of the newly renovated $166 million Beerman Field Athletic Building, parts of which were still being finished. Listening to my conversation with Peyton, I realized I walked in with a suitcase full of assumptions. Sports fans tend to read their own biases into news stories, and so do opponents of collegiate athletics. For fans... The Beerman renovation was all about improved facilities to attract better athletes, specifically for football. For opponents, it was another gross waste of money spent on athletics instead of academics. Talking to Peyton, I realized how much of these two biases I carried with me. Reality turned out to be something quite different. big part of my role when I came in was really on community service through our MAGIC program, which still exists today at the University of Minnesota. Um, MAGIC stands for Maroon and Gold Impacting the Community. So building out those opportunities to get engaged with local elementary schools and middle schools, boys and girls clubs, different organizations. Uh, and then also working with our freshman first year experience course. So acclimating all the incoming freshmen to the values, expectations, uh, the ambassadorship of what it means to be a student athlete at the University of Minnesota. So that was the focus then. And I was actually housed underneath the academic umbrella uh, at the University of Minnesota within uh, Golden Gopher Athletics. That's a part that a lot of people don't realize is that you've got the umbrella of Golden Gopher Athletics, but there's actually three components that make up how we embody the space. So you have athletics, everything that reports to Mark Coyle, who is our athletic director. Then you have the academic space, which is housed uh, underneath J.T. Bruitt, who's our director of the Lindahl Academic Center, which is underneath the vice provost for undergraduate education at the university. And then you have the Office of General Counsel, who actually is led uh, by, um, in in House Force Compliance, is Jeremiah Carter, who's the director of compliance, but he reports to the Office of General Counsel. So you've got all three of those entities working to uplift Golden Gopher Athletics. Athletics, academics, compliance. Compliance, yes sir. And they're okay. all different all different lanes. Okay. But they all work to make sure that we compete uh, in that NCA membership within the Big Ten Conference and definitely align with navigating what we need for our student athletes. I, there was, that was one of the dimensions that blew me away when we were talking there. <laughs> the outside perspective looking in, if I'm opening the newspaper and reading about sports and listening to ESPN and stuff like that, the the violations come up. Right. Uh, the incidents, off-field incidents come up. But we don't really realize how many entities are working on those athletes, with those athletes. Quite comprehensive, isn't it? It is very comprehensive. It really is the village approach to making sure that we create these positive spaces 
of growth and development for these young men and women. Uh, and again, linking it to the greater academy and, right. and making sure that we are ambassadors and champions for the University of Minnesota. What I always try to tell everyone is, you know, Golden Gopher Athletics is just a lane on a greater highway. The mm-hmm. highway is the University of Minnesota. Right. We just have a lane. That is all it is. We have one lane. And our job is to make sure that we keep traffic moving on the greater highway. Many critics scoff at the label student-athlete. There is an assumption that most Division I athletes will move into some level of professional sports. The truth is, on average, only 1.5% of all collegiate athletes in a sport with a professional option will make it to the pros. Even then, the average professional career is around four years. So for 98.5% of all athletes on the campus of the University of Minnesota, Playing financially supported competitive sports will end with graduation. And even for the few who do make it to the pros, they will be out of that sport by the time they're 26 years old. So any responsible institution must prepare these athletes for something other than the actual sport they play. Peyton tells us how the University of Minnesota does this. Also on a little side note, I did not realize it when we visited Bierman facility that it was not a new construction, but a renovation of an existing structure. Our contact point was going into the new Beerman Athletic Facility. Right. But prior to that being built, where were you? Was was this spread out all over campuses in different areas? No. So again, going back to the three different components, compliance, academics, and athletics, it was all in Beerman. So that's the other piece that you know oh, okay. throws people off is they think like, oh, this is all athletics. No, no, no. There's different reporting lines. Right. We're all for the student athletes and Golden Gopher athletics. Absolutely. So I was housed in Beerman. I was housed right there in the the McNamara Academic Center. Okay. Right there in Beerman. Right there in the space. Was able to engage with the student athletes, the coaches. It's just that my reporting lines, my direct boss at the time was academic. The new construction. Was more at, uh, there's basketball courts, foot practice fields. It was more adding on practice facilities, right? It was practice facilities for both uh, men's and women's basketball, nutrition center for all student athletes, all 700 plus student athletes, all 25 programs, academic spaces for all 750 student athletes, 25 programs, and then our new leadership center for all student athletes as well. So it was more about really advocating for the development of the total person. Okay. So you come in, and on the main level, we're going to feed you, right? Okay. That's going to happen. Right. Then you're going to get a chance to practice. Then we're going to give you a chance to work on academics, because if you don't do well in the classroom, you don't play. And then we're going to help you with your leadership development, your brand right. excellence, and getting prepared for life after sport. So it is about the entire space. The Land Lake Center for Excellence is about helping you be the very best version of yourself that you can be. Right. And playing chess, not checkers with it, thinking many moves ahead. The Beerman renovation was not just about improving facilities for the football team, which it did. The athletic department was intentional in improving access to high-level resources for all athletes across all the sports spectrum. But the thing that blew me away was the intentional approach to inclusivity, which is not something we associate with sports. Let's listen. The thing that hit me when we, we met 
Mm -hmm. As we walk into this building, this beautiful new building, all right, and the first thing you do is you talk about the inclusivity. Yes. Um, that is this cornerstone, really. Not even more the cornerstone. It's the foundation of what you're doing there. Absolutely. Would that be a fair statement? Yes, sir. How was that vision formed, and then, and then how did it get created into that building? Absolutely. Well, I think back to you know, when I was actually included in the plans and the blueprints for what we were going to do with the Land O'Lake Center for Excellence. We always envisioned this amazing grand entryway. Mm -hmm. It really started to be the catalyst for what an athlete's village would be. And what you're speaking to is uh, the wall where we talk about we all belong. Our commitment to highlight what we're doing at the University of Minnesota within the Big Ten Conference surrounding diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how we champion that space within Golden Goal for Athletics. So on that wall, of course, we're talking about like uh, great coaches such as Gene Freeman, you know, being able to highlight our greats such as Linda Roberts, and you know, being able to highlight our amazing international student athletes and the things that they have done. You know, all the different things that allow us to demonstrate that the Big Ten Conference has always been committed to giving people of color opportunities, and the University of Minnesota as well. And we want to make sure that that is intentional with being able to say to any recruit from anywhere in the world that you belong here, that you can come and be your authentic self, that there's an opportunity for you. Yes, you come and join Golden Gold for Athletics and you wear maroon and gold, but you are still you, and we want you. Authenticity is vital in our success. And then also not only having that for our student-athletes to see, but for anyone that's looking for an opportunity to join the team, staff, coach, administrator, the fact that you can come and be yourself. I tell people, and especially our recruits, I say this all the time, in the words of Dr. Seuss, be yourself because everybody else is taken. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and that is what we want you to know. Right. We need you to be you. You belong. As I was editing this show, the United Methodist Church voted not to be inclusive in its expression of ministry to the needs of the world. I'm thankful that I was totally immersed in Peyton's words and not the voice emerging out of the United Methodist Church. Listening to Peyton was a helpful reminder it is hard to change a large institution, but those who have been shaped by that institution, Wesley Memorial United Methodist Church in Richmond, Virginia, are the agents of change selling a vision grounded in faith and grace to a larger world. Before that event, I'm looking at that at a, at a university athletic department's knows they need to upgrade their athletic facilities to attract more athletes. Yes. And and that's, when I read the paper, that's what I see, and that's what I hear, and that's what I think walking into that center. Right. And that thing that was churned is it was more than the athletic facilities, just improving that. It was, it was talking about the whole person and using inclusivity in a really as broad a spectrum as it could possibly be. Mm -hmm. So did that start as like... We need to be welcoming or when that group gets together to start planning their vision of what they want this to be? Or is it like, hey, we got to catch up with the other big schools in the Big Ten? I think it's a combination of both, in all okay. honesty. I think it was always there. Uh, it's definitely one of those things that we just needed to make sure that we clearly stated it. I think sometimes that's the thing that you assume about sport 
in a lot of different ways, whether it's diversity and inclusion, whether it's integrity, whether it's values, whether it's just it's assumed. What we were intentional with was we're going to say it. We are going to state it. It is going to be in the main entryway and everyone is going to see it. And you will not have to question if you belong. We are letting you know that we want you to be authentically you and you do belong. And we need you. And I think I would argue with you. Okay. Um, And that, I know it's supposed to be an interview when you're... (laughs) I don't care. I, I think this is a contrast. To the outside world, they look at sports and they don't think inclusivity. Yeah. All right? Right. But as you start to dig into sports, you realize sports are the driving force behind inclusivity more so than any other entity that I can think of. Absolutely. And I, I would agree with you. And I th- so I think that maybe you're maybe the point you're making is internally you know that, yeah. but externally you just assume everybody sees that and they're, and they're, it's, and they're not It's not a given. True. So we wanted to make sure that everyone understood what we were about. But also, before you even get to that, you know, with us being in a church, it's, it's grace. Mm-hmm. I think I shared with you before, right. when you think about the concept of what sportsmanship is, it's really grace, right? Right. We don't necessarily like our, our friends to the East, but when they arrive, they get a locker room, they get an opportunity for medical care if they need it, they get right. water, they get taken care of. That's grace. Right. So I think at the forefront, what we want to do in the space of sport has always been is how do we continue to afford people grace, but then to take it a step further, because there were times where it was not always inclusive, right? right? Right. But to be able to demonstrate in our main entry rate that at the University of Minnesota and within the Big Ten Conference, these member institutions have given an amazing opportunity, an array of opportunities to a lot of persons of color from the South. And during a time when they weren't necessarily afforded that, mm-hmm. and have definitely been a champion for equity and diversity for women and, mm-hmm. and women's opportunities in the space of sport and academia, and really just being intentional with being able to attract international talent and affording them the same degree of care and grace. Peyton references the Team to the East, which is the University of Wisconsin, but he does it to introduce grace. Have you ever considered sports as grace? I had not, but the point transformed my thinking. Peyton asks a question which reminds me of something he was taught in his youth, the importance of seeking out answers to questions. He asks, how do we continue to afford people grace? I invite every listener to claim this question and to use it as an intentional spiritual reflection. Let's take a quick commercial break. Ordinary Voices is about listening to the thoughts of ordinary people in hopes we can build a better understanding of ourselves and each other. So thank you for listening. If you're interested in hearing more Ordinary Voices, go to the website, ordinaryvoices.org. Past shows are available on every format where podcasts are available, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. If you just want something to read, sign up to receive the devotions on the website, ordinaryvoices.org. The devotions are turned into short prayer podcasts to help people find time to pray and reflect in a busy world. Ordinary Voices is a listener-supported show. If you enjoy it, please consider financially supporting it on the website, ordinaryvoices.org. Also, check out RCL Worship Resources, creating dynamic, inclusive, progressive, grace-centered resource material designed to transform your congregation's worship experience. Visit rclworshipresources.com and make your worship planning experience creative, easy, and fun. 
rclworshipresources.com, worship that works for you. Let's return to the thoughts of our guest. So you get this vision of inclusivity. You put together your plans to build this facility. Mm-hmm. But you got to go to the corporate world and you got to go to your donor base and sell this. Was that was it the inclusivity part a hard sell? An no. easy sell? No. How did they respond to that? I think all the meetings that I was included in, uh, it was not even something that we had to discuss at length. Everyone understood the importance of inclusion and equity and diversity because all of these corporate partners are themselves hoping to attract, retain, and recruit diverse talent. They're looking for different perspectives. They know that in order to continue to move forward, they have to think outside the box. Go get that piece that they don't have. Have a welcoming environment. And you see that with the array of affinity groups that a lot of these organizations have, whether that's for veterans, whether that's for persons of color, whether that's for Hispanic Latino, whether that's for members of the LGBTQI community, plus community. I mean, there's all these different affinity groups that exist in order to support you being your authentic self if you're working on the Cargill, Orlando Lakes, or 3M, or Best Buy. So they exist. So being able to know that our talent, which we're cultivating academically and athletically and socially, could eventually segue into their organizations, there, there was no big discussion. Everyone understands how this makes sense and how we can continue to be each other's champion in this work in this space. Those families come in. What are, the, what are they looking for for their children? I think the honest truth is an opportunity to really be the very best that they can be, to have a positive and meaningful experience while they're at an institution, particularly in this thing, University of Minnesota, and then also you know, stay true to values, continue to develop both soft and technical skills, and get prepared for that next step. What are the student athletes looking for? The student-athletes, I think it varies from young person to young person. Okay. I think in all honesty, they're just looking for a place to call home, somewhere that is going to push them to be the very best that they can be, a space where they feel welcome, that they know that they can be recognized for who they are, not just what they do, right. um, and then to be challenged. I mean, we, I mean, when you look at and you read in the paper also the academic accolades that our student-athletes have, what we're doing in between the lines of play, I mean, they want to compete in every area or every space that they're in. So again, when, when we speak about excellence, we're talking about academic, athletic, and social excellence, three phases of their growth, and that's really what these young people want. So our team focuses first and foremost on creating a feeling, that feeling of you belong, that feeling of acceptance, that feeling that you can step outside your comfort zone. And our two spaces that we really try to create knowledge in is personal development and also career readiness. And then we build spaces of practice to give our student-athletes a chance to actually make sure that we develop them as a total person. So we're working on things surrounding being able to make sure that they walk away with skill sets, both soft and technical, that give them a chance to really articulate you know, what they bring to the table, transferable skill sets where they recognize that you know, they're able to focus and not fold, that they can take critical feedback where they you know, are able to intentionally move forward, that they can work in diverse situations towards a shared mission and vision. And getting young men and women prepared to actively articulate what this experience is, giving them a chance to work on their resume, mock interviews, etiquette dinners, doing site visits with companies, so that at the end of the day, there's five core things that they can say about this experience that they became independent and self-regulated, 
that they're able to form supportive relationships with themselves and others, that they develop leadership skills, that they become career ready, and that they are led by their moral compass. If we can do those things, that is essentially us preparing them to be able to pivot to the next opportunity. I realized talking with Peyton how much my approach to his job was formed by a historical bias. I thought what he did was mandatory learning for athletes and kept asking what's the intervention or punishment when athletes don't follow the mandatory plan. He had no clue what I was talking about. Peyton's world is about imitation and a freedom to discover your authentic self. It's infinitely more effective in requirements and consequences. His approach invites ownership in discovering one's authentic self. The only mandatory class for athletes is their first year experience course. Uh, because my team is heavily woven into the freshman first year experience course. Okay. Uh, so we get a chance through that platform, all of our incoming freshmen, uh, whether you come in during the summer or come in during the fall, we get a chance to engage with you during that time frame to work on values exploration, to acclimate you to resources at the university, so, and then on, leadership growth. Yep. Values exploration, how do you go about doing that? What, do you, what kind of things do you do for that? Great question. So we work, uh, we have a program called Leadership U, and Leadership U is basically raising your self-awareness. That is the whole concept behind the program, aligning the entire athletic department, raising our individual and collective self-awareness. But for freshmen with values exploration, what we do there is have a shared dialogue. We utilize the DISC assessment to better understand behavioral styles. We work with them also to do the EQI inventory in order to make sure that we work on emotional intelligence and really be intentional with defining and carving out values and identity so every step of the way you control your narrative. The most important voice you have to hear in this journey is your own. And never let anybody else speak for you. How do they receive that? I mean, and that's, that just seems cutting edge to me. Leadership right? U has hands down been one of the greatest things that we have done. And, and you know, definitely, I have to definitely give a nod of the hat to uh, Lando Lakes. Lando Lakes has been intricately woven into not just the Center for Excellence, but right. also heavily be involved in helping us achieve greatness with Leadership U. Uh, working with Pete Jansen and Lydia Botham, uh, we were able to really dialogue about how we could work together and create these opportunities to be the catalyst for excellence. Uh, and it's been well received. The student athletes love the spaces of dialogue to work on growth and skills and practice. It's not necessarily tied to a sport, but does translate into how you perform in your sport, but really just working on me. Right. I mean, when you get a chance to work on you and you have intentional time carved out to work on you right from the get-go, like, that's our commitment to you in allowing us to essentially, as I like to say, deliver on our promise. It's not just for our student-athletes. We've created these spaces of conversation and, and dialogue also with our coaches, with unit directors, with administration, with senior leaders, because we want to align the entire department, from Mark Coyle to AD, all the way down to little old Peyton Owens, right? <laughs> you know, to make sure that everyone is aligned with understanding their value and how we need everyone and understanding who you are and what you bring to the table, how your behavioral style presents, making sure that your actions align with your intentions, giving you an opportunity to dialogue with others so you're not your own personal expert, which we usually know how that ends for most people, right? <laughs> but just being able to create these spaces of conversation and dialogue that are tied again to a feeling of, I belong, I 
can work on developing growing this. It's not like IQ where you have a set number and that's that. Right. EQ, you can work on and you can develop. It's right. just about giving you an opportunity to see where you need to work and how to go about it. So those comments, you tie that, those, the inclusivity and this work on you and tie it into that grace thing. Absolutely. And you are teaching kids how to understand themselves and like themselves. Absolutely. Self-care is the most important care. Yeah. Not self-medication. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Self-care. <laughs> well, that's, that's the show I'm working on right now. <laughs> so you're very positive. Yeah. Attitude right? of gratitude. <laughs> yeah. That's all I got. Um, what are the challenges in this program? Well, I, I would say the, the biggest challenge is, is just, it's, it's not really a challenge. It's just a constant reminder that I think all of us have to have is you have to meet people where they are, you know, and by that, not just the student athlete, but also the professional or the colleague or the administrator that you're working with as well, because not everyone understands or appreciates or values what the space is, but it's about how we can learn and lead together in order to really craft out our shared advance in order to, to move things forward. So I'd say it's just recognizing where people are. That is the, honestly, the so, greatest and, and only challenge. Right. So how do you figure out where people are at? It's creating that feeling, that space first. You have to generate that feeling, the fact that I'm going to listen to you, that I'm going to allow you to share and be authentically you, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell me what it is I can help you with. I'm not going to say this is what you get. Right. Here's your uniform. Go wear it. Right. Right. No, that's not what this work is. This work is not that. Right. And I think that's where our team is able to do some amazing things is we're not handing you a uniform. You're 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 telling us where you are. You're in the driver's seat. We're just there to be your GPS. And just like a GPS, if we hit a hurdle or an obstacle, we don't go home. We just we just recalculate. So it's funny then you say that right there, because in my head. I realize the questions I'm asking. I'm, I'm looking for what's required. What are you telling them to do? And, and when they don't do it, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. And, and that's not the approach. That's not the approach. Not for, not for our space. When it, again, comes to self-awareness and growth, you have to first just tell me where you are. Right. And I'll meet you there. I think about every great coach, every great mentor, every great person in my life. When I go back to Miss Brooks. She met me where I was. Right. You know? Right. When I think about Dick Cox, my baseball coach, he met me where I was. Right. When I think about Reverend Hunter back home, he met me where I was. Right. My aunts and uncles, they met me where I was. They didn't make me say, this is what we're... That's, that's not where it was. That's not where I was able to welcome and even entertain learning and growth. And I think it just comes down to, again, how do we at least, before we do anything else, just afford grace to one another to have the conversation. Right. I think the key is is just continuing to always think positively, you know, understanding where we are, but also thinking about where we could be. You know, right. I just want to walk with you in the journey. That that's it. It's not about me having a stack for you or anything. It's about just walking with you in the journey. I think about something that my mom told me. You know, it's not necessarily about creating the path for the child. It's about getting the child prepared for any path. Mm. That's what she told me with our girls, right? My mom gives me a lot of great tips oh that now make sense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's been doing it her whole life. But I think now I've just gotten to a place where I, I've got things in life that I can actually match it up. Right. And it makes sense. 
But that's what we're trying to do. It's not about I've got to know the answer and take you here and get every path carved out for you, Mr. Lacrosse player on the team, right? No, it's about, all right, let's just continue to create spaces of practice so that when you reach whatever it may be, you know what to, you know what to do. You feel comfortable in at least taking that first step. If you want to continue to get better, you better not be one-dimensional. Yeah. <laughs> so even next time mom comes to visit, she needs to stay at my house for a little bit. I think <laughs> I need some of that wisdom off for her. When I walked into Peyton's office, it was rather empty. Plain white walls, simple desk, beautiful view of the city. But in the corner sat an old set of golf clubs. It was really the only personalized feature of the setting. So I asked him if he golfed and he said no. But there was a story and it was one I had to share with you. You know, golf has become like you think everybody has to golf, especially in the in the field of athletics and and working with corporations. It's like this is what they do, right? I mean, it, it definitely is a space that is highly utilized for business, right? But I also think there's other ways that we can get business done, right? right. You know, right. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm working on my game. <laughs> that's a little bit. But if you were to ask me right now, I'd say, you know what? Because <laughs> I want you to respect me, so we won't do golf. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do something else. We'll do something else. Yeah. Well, baseball swings are never conducive yeah, yeah. to golf. Bad engage. Let's yeah, do yeah, it. Let's do you it. Know, right. Let's do it. But yeah, the golf clubs in my office actually are near and dear to me, and I have them in there um, because they belong to Thor Anderson, uh, first home that Alicia and I bought here in Southwest. First day pulled up. I remember he walked out. He introduces himself, older white gentleman, introduces himself, hi, I'm Thor, like the god of thunder. He's shaking my hand. That's what he said, right? And I said, hello. And I remember thinking to myself with Alicia when we were out there unloading our stuff, you know, coming from the south, and, you know, you, you get what you get right. as far as inclusion, grace, respect. You know, racism is still pretty rampant and right in your face. So I was like, all right, we'll see where this goes. He was anything but that. He was everything about grace and inclusion and respect and was there for my wife and I. And when our children were born, was there for our girls as well. Uh, he was the <laughs> he was a shining star and just everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as I said earlier, when my my parents and my father not really being that heavily involved in my life and I was able to go out at different points and ask him things and he would show me and teach me things. Mm-hmm. You know, as this as this thirty plus year old man, and I'm still learning, right? right? And appreciative of the fact that he took the time to do so, but always just demonstrating grace and talking to us and engaging with us. And our daughter, as they were growing up, would run over, "Hey, Thor, and give him a hug," mm-hmm. and all these positive things. So, <laughs> get forward to the clubs. One day, um, he sees me going back and forth. As I said, I'm working on learning golf, and I have clubs. I don't think I was carrying a bag right, but I had clubs, and I'm putting them in the car. He stops me one morning, and he says, hey, uh, I got something for you. And I was like, okay. He said, I'll be right back, headed to work. Now, I need to get to work. So he went into this garage, and he was literally in there for, it might have been five minutes. And I was like, what is going on? I have to go. But my mom says, when people got something they want to give you, you take it. Because they personalize that and they want you to have it. Right. You know? So he comes back out 
and he has his bag of golf clubs. Now, you've seen the clubs. They're, it's a tattered bag. Right. I mean, there, there are a lot of woods in there. It's old. I, I mean, it is old clubs. They're throwbacks. Right. Relics. I won't call them old. They're relics. <laughs> They're relics, right? right. There right. you go. They're relics, yeah. right? And he's like, well, I don't know what I'm going to do with these, but maybe you can use them. <laughs> and I'm looking at him like, what am I going to do with these clubs? They're already laughing at me because of my game. Now they're going to laugh at me because of my clubs, right? <laughs> so I, I thank him and I give him a hug, you know, because I always shook his hand. And then over the years, like, he was welcome and open to a hug. And I just always felt like giving him a hug. Right, right. And he always accepted it. Right, right. And I gave him a hug and I put him in a car. And I remember riding to work. And I was like, what am I going to do with these clubs? So I rode around with these clubs in my trunk of my car for maybe a good month. And then finally something said to me, take them into the office because they will be a great conversational piece. And it will also give you an opportunity to speak about your amazing neighbor and friend. Right? So then you fast forward to he passes away. Right. He passes away. And every day I get a chance to look at my office at a shining example and, a, and a, a memory of someone that afforded not just me grace, but my family. Right. In a state that I knew nothing about, in a place that I've made my home now, right. with a neighbor that I didn't know was going to go good or bad, right. who continued to teach me things, who always said to me, never go buy anything because I probably have it. Right. And you're welcome to it. Right. So he's a shining example of excellence and grace and love and the importance of fellowship and taught me to never assume because I assumed and I was wrong. So I had that in my office and a lot of people ask. And just like I'm going to get emotional right now, (laughs) same thing happens at work. It doesn't matter who you are. I care less who you are because I'm comfortable being me. And I'm crying, like I said, because I'm happy. Happy. I'm like, you know what I hear? Uh, You're kind because you spent five minutes, five minutes waiting for those clubs. <laughs> I did. It was five minutes. <laughs> and it just goes to show you, yeah. What? Five minutes. If, if you had not waited those five minutes, what 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 do you have gained? Absolutely. Five you know, minutes we, became uh, you know something amazing. Yeah. You don't have to get into it. Yeah. But your appreciation of grace. And your um, attitude of gratitude is obviously been nurtured in your mom. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously there. Yeah. Um, your deep appreciation, though, for it means there has been times in your life where you didn't get that. Yeah. You know what the, you know what the other side looks like. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that those times, although dark, they were followed by light. Right. They were always followed by light. I think the fact that I did have such a strong base with my mom and Grace, and one of the things you always say is never let them take your joy. A Lutheran pastor serving a Methodist congregation walks into an athletic building and discovers grace. Not just grace, but grace upon grace. It might sound strange to the listener for a pastor to say such a thing, but I felt like I never really understood the beauty of grace until I spoke with Peyton that day. 
Reflecting upon our conversation, the familiar words from the Gospel of John started flowing through my mind and heart, and the Word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. I spent an hour talking with an only Son, who was full of grace and truth, who from the fullness of His experience with His mother, with Miss Brooks, with Coach Cox, with Reverend Hunter, with Thor, like the God of Thunder, with Alicia, London, and Berkeley, received grace upon grace, and now has committed his life to sharing that grace throughout every context of his life, including the athletics department at the University of Minnesota. Don't get me wrong, Peyton is as perfect as his worship attendance at our church, but I know one thing. The word becomes flesh whenever grace is made abundantly visible in the common, ordinary places of life. And Peyton makes the word visible to the world. That's our show. I want to thank Peyton for sharing, and I want to thank you for listening. I want to draw you back into his question. How can you continue to afford people grace? Join me next time when I speak with a young man who spent 69 days canoeing the Mississippi River from its starting point at Lake Itasca to the Gulf of Mexico. His journey is tied to grief awareness and helping wounded people cope with loss. Until then, check out the website ordinaryvoices.org. This is a listener-supported show. If you enjoy it, please consider financially supporting it by clicking the donate button on the website, ordinaryvoices.org. I also encourage you to check out rclworshipresources.com, where worship planning is made fun and easy. On behalf of all Ordinary Voices, thanks for listening, and I look forward to our next conversation. Take it, yeah. Let's just dance on the